Well, it is good to be home. I tell you what, it's awesome to be here with you guys and all of our campuses and those are online as well. No place like home. We've gotten to travel all over the place, but man, we are so excited to be back here and just appreciate all the guest speakers that we had. All campuses, they did a great job. So man, you are a sight for sore eyes to just be back here is just awesome to be able to be with y'all again in a great way. We are going to have an incredible semester. It's going to be awesome. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to have out of the book of Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Galatians 1. We're going to be in Galatians this week and next week. And then the third week on August 7th is going to be our baptism day. And I'm going to talk about Paul's baptism because through Galatians and then that time, we're going to get to know Paul so that then we can be ready to jump into the book of Romans that Paul wrote. So I want you to get to know him. I want you to understand his story so that we, when we jump into Romans, it's not foreign to you of who this guy Paul is. Now, I'm super excited about August 7th. If you'll pray for that day, if you're thinking, man, I want to be baptized, and that's going to be a great thing, we're going to, at the end of the message, I'm going to literally say, if you want to be baptized like Billy Graham style, stand up right where you are, and let's come on. And we're going to have a bathing suit for you. We're going to have a t-shirt for you. We're going to have a hairbrush for you. We're going to have a hair dryer for you, ladies. It's going to be every excuse you could have, we're going to take out so that we can give you this little packet, and we're just going to trust that the Lord does what he wants to do. So if you're uh, wanting to do that and you're like, man, I want to do that. Well, sign up earlier. That'll make it easier on us as well. But it's going to be a great time. But Paul in Galatians chapter one is where we're going to be. He's proving it to these folks. He's trying to say, this is my past. This is my present. And this is my purpose. He wants to prove that he's one of the apostles, that you should be listening to him. Now on sabbatical, we had a great time. We got to go all over the place, but one of the most special places we got to go was we got to go to Rome. And Rome was incredible. We went with the choir and orchestra at the Loop Campus. And Loop Campus, you should be so proud, all our church, proud of our choir and orchestra. They were on a mission trip, amazing, singing in these different places all over Italy. And then we jumped in, my family and I, at the very end in Rome. And I got to preach two times in Rome. Now, I want you to feel that with me a little bit for a pastor to get to preach in Rome. Ah, it was like a bucket list moment. I couldn't believe it. I'm getting to preach in Rome. I mean, Paul that we're talking about. Then I got to study for Romans in Rome. How amazing is that? To be able to be on that journey in a great way. Well, one of the places we went is we went on the outskirts of Rome, kind of a neighborhood area of Rome, and they have all these big, huge apartment buildings around there with this city park in the middle. Well, the city park in the middle, no one had used it since before COVID. Now think about how hard hit Italy was with COVID. And so the church we partnered with came in, cleaned up the area, and they cleaned up the city park, and then everyone came, hundreds of people came to the city park. The mayor of this area came to the city park, stood up on the platform and said, this is a miracle. This is the first time we've gathered together since before COVID. And as they came out and we cleaned this up, the church we partnered with cleaning it all up, and then our choir and orchestra began to sing. Let me show you a couple pictures just from that night, how special it was. Hundreds of people there in the city park. The mayor was saying it was a miracle. Then we began to, to have some preaching time and some singing time that was happening there. So I got to preach the gospel. That was my translator there. She did a great job translating from English to Italian. And so there we were just preaching it, then singing at sunset as the sun was setting behind the stage. It was so powerful and so amazing to be singing and preaching in Rome. 
I couldn't believe it to be able to be in Rome preaching the gospel of Christ. How amazing is that? Somebody told me that the mayor sitting on the front row, they said, Pastor, when you prayed the the ending prayer to receive Jesus Christ, I heard the mayor praying to receive Christ. How awesome. And as I sat there on the front row about to get up to speak, you know, I knew what the last song was going to be and I knew I was going to get up there. And I was sitting in that front row seat, that little plastic chair in a park in Rome. And I thought, what am I doing here? How did I end up with this great church in this world historic city and I'm about to stand up and share Christ with them? And I thought about my past. I didn't dwell on it too long. We've all done stuff we don't want to have done, not have done, right? We want to wish our past was better. I thought about then coming to Jesus Christ and who would have ever known at 16 years old when I had trusted Jesus as my savior that, that later on, many, many years later, I would be there sitting in Rome about to share the gospel with these folks in Rome. How amazing is that? And where I was sitting, I was just thinking about my past, my present, and my purpose in life. And what we're gonna see in Paul is almost like he's sitting on the front row. And he's gonna give us a a word back to his past and say, this is who I used to be, but right now, this is who God has made me to be, and this is the purpose I have in my life. So I hope that you'll be able to look back even in your life and say, man, look at how God has taken me from a mighty long way and what he's done in my life. And look at what he's doing right now and what's my purpose? What does God want to do in my life? Past, present, and your life's purpose. We're gonna see that here in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. If you got your Bible, look at Galatians 1, verse 11. Now, Paul is a big time biblical author, 13 out of the 27 New Testament books. This is his first one that he wrote. Wrote it around 50. It's it's about 15 years after he became a Christian. And then he's going to write Romans in like 57. So this is before we get to Romans. Look in verse 11 through verse 16, then we'll hit it verse by verse. Here we go. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source. I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in just a second. For you have heard about my former way in my life of Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. That's his past. Verse 15, but when God, powerful three words, who from my mother's womb, set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. The first thing that Paul begins with is he says, I want you to know I got this from God. And my past is not a past to be proud of. Here's the deal. Here's what happened with Paul. Paul was previously a guy named Saul. Saul in Acts, you would find that Saul was a man that was breathing out, it says in Acts 9, breathing out murderous threats against the believers in Christ. So he was like, if you will, have you ever seen those videos where they just tune in on a linebacker and the linebacker's watching the play? His eyes are right there on the backfield. He sees the handoff and he begins to shuffle following that running back. And then like a guided missile, when that running back comes around, he is running directly towards him and he's going to make that play. That's Paul in his mind to go after the believers in Christ. 
He thinks he's protecting Judaism and he is going to go out zealous and he's going to actually murder them. He has great passion, but his passion is misdirected. Don't live with misdirected passion. Be passionate about your workplace. Be passionate about your hobbies. Be passionate about your family. Be passionate about your marriage, about your children. But don't be misdirected in your passions. Here's what I mean. It's not that you need to love your family less. It's you need to love your, your, your Jesus more. And sometimes we can get the cart before the horse where we worship our children, we worship our work, we worship the things that we're doing in our hobbies, we worship our convenience, we worship our hobbies and things we like to do, we worship money, we worship growth, we worship whatever it is, and we get our passions misdirected. C.S. Lewis said, put first things first and you'll get second things thrown in. Put second things first and you'll lose both of them. Jesus said it like this, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Be passionate about the things that God's gifted you with, that God's blessed you with, but don't let your passion be misdirected where you're putting it above your relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Now, Paul's was not good passions. I just listed a bunch of good passions. His was actually murderous threats is what he was going after. Intense persecution. Listen to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. You don't even have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen. Saul agreed with putting him to death. That's Stephen, the first Christian martyr. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Lived out. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, listen to this, was ravaging the church. That's Saul as Paul. He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. So Saul is ruthless in his passion. His passion says he's advancing in his years or advancing past his contemporaries. That Greek word for advancing Past his contemporaries means this, to make headway in spite of blows. It's a nautical term. It's saying, I am climbing the corporate ladder, but he doesn't realize it's leaning on the wrong wall. And Paul is passionate, and then God gets a hold of his life. Look in verse 15. There's key words that happen there in verse 15. But when God... I want you to say those three words with me together. All campuses online, digital family as well, everybody at the loop. On the count of three, we're going to say, but when God. One, two, three. But when God. Say it again. One, two, three. But when God. What a great phrase to be a dividing line between Saul and Paul. But when God showed up, everything changed. See, we need to be but when God type of Christians. The economy, the business, inflation. But when God showed up in my life, when God showed up in my business, look at what God did. The problems that are happening in our family, but when God showed up in the hospital, we can't believe that the doctor said what he said, but when God, the sins that are so just apparent in my life, but when God set me free, my past, which is filled with all sorts of things that I just don't even un want to even see when I laid them at the cross, but when God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. But when God, now for Saul to Paul, it was even bigger. He was riding on a horse headed to Damascus. We, we, we know D Damascus and believe riding on a horse as well. And when God showed up, it made all the difference. Listen to Acts chapter nine, verse one through five. Here's what it says. Now Saul was still breathing 
threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That Greek word for breathing is to inhale only. It's not to exhale. It's to breathe it in as your lifeblood. He was smelling blood like a warrior horse. It was what was coming into him to give him life. Now, Saul was still inhaling threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way, that's Christianity, he may bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, he was nearing Damascus and a light from heaven, but when God suddenly flashed around him and falling to the ground... A voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. He said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting, he replied. Here's the deal. Paul was radically changed. He tells this story in Acts 9. He tells this story in Acts 22. He tells this story in Acts 26. It's 15 years-ish after the story has happened. He's still talking about it as if it happened yesterday. It's one of those, I'll never forget the time stories for Paul. And he is knocked off the horse with a blinding light of Christ. He'll literally be blind for three days. Here's the phrase I want you to get. I left it in your listening guide. I thought about taking it out. I almost erased it to take it out of your your listening guide. But I thought it's got to be there. Somebody needs this phrase. So here it is. Maybe it's for you. Live in the brightness of Christ, not the darkness of your anger. Live in the brightness of Christ not the darkness of your anger. I bet your anger's valid. It probably is. I bet if we sat down and talked, you could convince me that you're angry for a reason and it's valid and you were hurt and you were harmed and you are owed something by that person or that issue or maybe even you're mad at God. And I just wanna encourage you that you would live in the brightness of Christ instead of the darkness of your anger. You're the only one that's dying You're the one that's dwindling. And I know, I've been mad before. And it's hard to let it go and to say, Lord, vengeance is yours. You've got to set them right, not me. Paul moved from the darkness of his anger to the brightness of Christ. And there's a lot to be angry about, yes. But he moved to the brightness of Christ. He was knocked down from his horse. Remember, secondly, that God can take you from a high horse to a humble servant very quickly. God can take you from a high horse to a humble servant very quickly. Listen to to Charles Spurgeon on this. He says, Paul was a great man. I have no doubt that on the way to Damascus, he rode a very high horse, but in a few seconds sufficed to, but a few seconds sufficed to alter the man, how soon God brought him down. John Stott said, the authority by which a Christian leader leads is not power, but love, not force, but example, not coercion, but reason, persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is only safe in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. Martin Luther, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of the man. God creates out of nothing. Until a man is nothing, God cannot create anything out of that man. 
Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 15, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, you and I in humility have to get small before the Lord and say, Lord, in your grace and your forgiveness, I walk in that and I'm small before you. I walk in humility before you. Off the high horse, all of my accolades thrown to the side. God, it's me and you and I need you to change me from my past to my present to give me purpose in my life. And the only way that that happens is but when God, only small birds sing. And God wants us to be small before him and humble before others. But when God shows up, he can knock you off the horse and say, I want you to be mine. See, we're not called just to something. We're called to someone. Let me tell you the best part of my sabbatical I had numerous prayer times that I didn't want to end because it was just me and the Lord. There's no place to be. There was no sermon to prepare for. There was no event. There's no cell phone in the room. There was no email to reply to. I was off email for a month. All social media called the office once, spent time with God. It says a lot about our staff too, to be able to leave it like that. But when you realize you're called to a person, Christianity is a relationship, not a things to do list. And let me tell you what, chief of sinners, you think I can't get a spiritual things to do list going in my vocation? Time with God, here's the deal. Paul says in the next verse, he says in verse 15, he says, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach to him. We'll get to that in a minute. God calls us by grace and sets us apart. God calls us by grace He forgives us all of the things that we've done wrong. He is right there with us and he's forgiven us. If we trusted in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, God can forgive us of everything. There is grace, unmerited favor, love of God. Paul, what did he do to earn an interaction with Jesus like that? Zero. He's on a road to kill people and God shows up. But when God... When I'm sitting there in Rome, I'm not thinking, man, awesome Greg. I'm thinking, but when God. I remember one time I, I was, breakaway was really growing at AM and I came out and the church was packed and I literally had this thought in my flesh, not in my spirit, they're here to hear me speak. And I felt like God said, then you go get them. And I said, dear Jesus, please no, God, don't leave me now, <laughs> right? But when God shows up, that's when he does his work. And he's called us by grace and set us apart. Now, I'm a prepared guy. I hope that doesn't shock you. (laughs) But I knew that I would preach this passage of scripture on this day, because I've got Romans planned out. I wanted to get you to know Paul before we jumped into Romans. So I've known this passage of scripture for months. Probably, I'd say, April, maybe, maybe even March. I could probably go back and I'll look at my journals and find, but I've known for a long time that we would be right here in Galatians. And not until this week in preparing did I realize that there's a phrase in there that is culturally relevant for us today. 
and it's God set me apart from my mother's womb. All the discussion about the mother's womb that we've had in our society, I didn't, I really didn't know when I planned this scripture that the Roe v. Wade decision would be happening. I didn't know. And so I want to tell you, I know we know what Republicans or Democrats believe. I know we know what certain judges believe. I know we know what certain friends or family believe, but would it be important to know what the Bible says about it? See, here's what's happening. I want you to, we're gonna put this phrase on the screen. I've thought about this sentence. It's in your listening guide because I think it's important. Today, many people passionately hold beliefs on complex issues they've never deeply, logically, and theologically thought through, okay? That may be you. That may be somebody else. 30 and under crowd, I really want you to hear this. Today, many people passionately hold beliefs on complex issues that they've never deeply, logically, and theologically thought through. You can't just watch a news report and have that all craft your belief because different stations are gonna give you different things. So what does the Bible say about this? Now, notice I'm not red-faced. I began by talking about grace. I'm true to the scripture here. What does the Bible say about a mother's womb? I'm not beating my fist. Seminary professor said this in a class one time. When I begin to yell, you'll know I don't know what I'm talking about. And we all in our society wish that there could be a conversation of some type of intellectual value without just yelling at each other. So you know what so-and-so thinks, you know what such-and-such thinks. Is it important as a believer in Christ to say, is the mother's womb mentioned throughout Scripture? Well, here we have it with Paul. He says to reveal, or excuse me, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Here's what Paul does. Paul connects the sovereignty of God and the sanctity of life. He connects the sovereignty of God with the sanctity of life. He says, from my mother's womb, God knew what I was gonna do. Now, is the mother's womb, is that found any other place in scripture? Well, Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, Old Testament. This would be Judaism. Of course, as Christians, we believe it as well. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, Jacob and Esau. Two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Two nations in your womb. Sovereignty of God, sanctity of life happening there. Luke chapter one, verse 41. It says this, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Elizabeth with John the Baptist heard Mary with Jesus in her, her greeting, John the Baptist and Jesus said, what's up, high five, right? That's, he leapt and said, I know you and we're on the same team. In the womb, that happened. Okay, Luke chapter one, verse 30, a little bit before the one I just read you. But when the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. This is the Virgin Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son. 
Conception, sovereignty of God. We know what the plan is. Conception, give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So the conception has a name. It's here. Psalms 139, very famous scripture. For you created me in my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That's talking about the womb. Now here's interesting. Listen to this. Verse 16. Your eyes, God's eyes, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What you see here in this passage of scripture here that we, and I gave you four other ones, but what you see here with Paul is in my mother's womb, God set me apart by his grace. You see a connection of the sovereignty of God and the sanctity of life. And so in the scriptures, there is a statement, I just read you four, of life beginning at conception. Now, there is not a dichotomy between loving the parents and loving the child. We are seeking to do both as a church. We have given millions of dollars away to help with adoption. We have helped over 200 kids be adopted. We have the, one of the most robust counseling centers you'll ever find that will meet with anybody at any time, in any way, Juliana Poor Memorial Counseling Center, that will help people going through very difficult situations, which unplanned pregnancies are very, very difficult without a doubt but it's important to ask, what does the scripture say? And if we know what the scripture says, then we have to say this. If I disagree with God, I have to say, I disagree with God on that. What do we do? Because we're going to be facing this in Romans a lot. When God says something and you don't like it, how will you respond? Because there's a lot of things you're not going to like in this book. Here's how Jesus responds. May this cup pass from me. No, it can't. May your will be done instead of my will, right? So as believers, we say God's will, not my will. Now, let me say this. The church has not gotten political. The government has gotten theological. The church has not gotten political. The government has gotten theological and begun to define and redefine things that God has already defined and laid out. They're the building blocks of all of society. And so we love the, church or the government and the state. We want to be a blessing. We don't need the state. When I look at the state, it looks like they need all the church they can get. But the church has not gotten political. The government has gotten theological. And that's why we have chaos. That's why we have fighting. That's why we have things we don't know how to say things. And that's why people won't finish sentences because they don't know how to finish the sentence. A woman's right to choose what? Say it very clearly and very directly and very specifically and then see if you like it at the period. And if you disagree with what the Bible says here, here's what I would encourage you to do. You would take time to research. There's a plethora of complex issues in our society. Take the time to research. Look at the pictures inside the womb. Decide when life really begins. Where is it there? Don't celebrate finding life on Mars when we can't find it in a womb. And then you come up with a logical, reasonable, theological, well-thought-out statement and argument 
of why you believe what you believe. And at the end of it, say, I'm choosing to disagree with the Bible and its belief. And we may disagree, but there can at least be mutual respect on a well-thought-out deal. So we're here to help. We're here to love. I have not raised my voice. I have not pounded my fist. I have not become red-faced. I've spoken from grace into this point, and I'm going to come right out, and I'm going to talk about grace again. Because it says that God set Paul apart in grace, in grace. Look at the end of the scripture in verse 15. But when God, that's our big phrase, but when God, he can meet you wherever you are, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his, say the word with me, his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. Here's the point. If God can forgive Paul, he can forgive anybody. Paul is trying to destroy the church. He's ravaging the church. If he could forgive Paul, he could forgive anybody. God can do his work in your life. God can change. But when God shows up, he can do his work. God forgave Paul and used him to be one of the greatest Christians in the history of the faith. That's Paul. To write Romans, the grace upon him for martyring Stephen and countless others, breathing out murderous threats. I promise you, you didn't do worse than Paul's done. And God forgave him. So you hear this with grace. This isn't the abortion talk. This isn't the Greg got political talk. This is, I'm true to the scriptures right here. And I want you to hear grace. This is what the Bible says about a very cultural, culturally relevant issue. And you know what? For thousands of years, Christians would have read this and gone, yeah, fine. It wouldn't even have been an issue. But now it is. And we need to understand it and to see it. Grace. And then finally, set apart with a special gift for a strategic purpose. Set apart with a special gift for a strategic purpose. This is a scary part of Christianity. God wants to set you apart. It means you might not be like all your friends. God wants to set you apart. You might not be like all your neighbors. God wants to set you apart. You might not be like all your coworkers. God wants to set you apart. You may disagree with people. In, in society and in corporate America, God will set you apart. You don't have to be ugly about it. You don't have to be mean about it. It's not a us and them going after it. It's a compassionate love of saying, Jesus, when God changed me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm going to trust that but when God moved in my heart, I'd be exactly the same if God wouldn't have moved in my heart like he moved. What an amazing thought that is. You know, I've always been an extrovert. I've always been a talker. Fourth grade, you won't find this hard to believe. Miss Williams' class, my desk was in the corner because I talked too much, okay? Always in the corner. Finally, Miss Williams saw something in me. She said, Greg, why don't you do a comedy show at the end of school today? We'll leave 10 minutes for you to do the comedy show. And so I said, that is awesome. What a great thing. So all you people that are afraid of speaking publicly, stay afraid. It allows me to speak. It's awesome. So she said, you can do the comedy show at the end of the, the day. And I just couldn't wait all day long. And I had memorized this Bill Cosby album that I had. So I got up and I started telling Bill Cosby jokes there. And so, and everybody was laughing, even though I was like, you know, when my kids come home and I'm in fourth grade, I don't have any kids, but we're just rolling with it. So I've always been a talker. I always like being an extrovert. That's always great. But God set me apart for a purpose. And he didn't send me to Rome to talk about Greg. He sent me to talk about God. And there's a difference in having a personality and having a purpose. 
So I want to stay as small as possible before the Lord to say, God, you do what you want. Because if anybody knows what I've done, I do. But when God saved my soul as a teenager, but when God showed up in my quiet times with him, but when God spoke to my heart at that camp, but when God said, have a few of your college friends over for a Bible study. But when God said, I want to take you to Houston. But when God said, before the Houston part, I want Kelly to be yours. But when God, but when God, but when God, there's nothing about but when, Greg. I don't want to live a life on guesses. I want to live a life that's guided. Guided, not guessing. And many of us, because we don't want to be set apart, we're just guessing. Just guessing. You let God set you apart and you stay small and he'll guide you and you'll keep saying, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills, but when God showed up, I don't know how we're going to parent these kids, but when God gives us wisdom, I don't know how I'm going to get up on Sunday morning, but when God shows up in church, oh, I'm so glad I did. God at work and it's really really scary and hard to be different but when God in his grace calls us by his name he sets us apart and he knew it from your mom's womb and he's got a purpose he's got a purpose I love the testimony of life even through, our, through the roof ministry. Those kids have a purpose. They've got a purpose by the hand of the Lord. And we love them. And Christians have always been on a rescue mission with the Lord. I'm just talking about babies and kids and such. We've always been on a rescue mission with the Lord because Jesus was on a rescue mission for us, wasn't he? He came to a place walk these, earth, this, these dusty roads to save our souls and take us to heaven. Let me close with this illustration. When we were in Italy, we went to this place called Siena, Italy. Um, and I love our Siena campus. Y'all are an amazing campus, but this place is a little bit prettier than Siena, Houston, okay? So I was like, we need a Siena campus here. This would be great. Siena, Italy, it's a little bit north of Rome. It's a middle, medieval town. So it's like 1200s, 1300s, lots of stone, lots of, you know, real hard materials, sorts of things like that. Big town square. And in Siena, Italy, there's this place called the Duomo. It's a big fancy word for cathedral. And this is what it looks like. Beautiful, beautiful place. I took this picture. It's gorgeous. As you can imagine, Europe all over the place. You know, we think about old in America. We're like, this is 50 years old. And it's like, that's not even close to old, right? That's just it's stuff we overpriced, paid in an uh, antique place. So here we've got here this beautiful, beautiful place here. And right on the, across it, right across the little pavilion from it, is this place. This is called Santa Maria della Scala, okay? St. Mary of the Steps. This is their logo. Let me show you their logo. It's a ladder or of steps. All right, there it is right there. I love that, that the ladder is leading to the cross. That's their logo that they've got there. Now, let me show you the proximity from the steps of the Duomo to Santa Maria della Scala. 
Now, Santa Maria della Scala was just right at the steps. There's the steps. That's why they named it Santa Maria at the steps. It's just right across the way. That is one of the first hospitals in all of Europe. If you know your history, you'll find where Christians go, you always end up with hospitals and schools. Where atheists go, you always end up with destruction and chaos. Show me an atheist hospital, and I'll show you a Baptist, a memorial, a Baptist memorial, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic. I can show you 10. So wherever Christians go, there's always in history, there's always schools, and there's always hospitals. And we could throw in also freedom of slavery, and we could make a whole list. But right at the steps, one of the first hospitals of all of Europe is there. And here's what would happen. This is sad. People would come on pilgrimage from north, from uh, Europe, and they would be headed towards Rome, and they would get to Siena on the north part, uh, you know, a few hours north of Rome, and they would have their children with them, and they would be tired of the burden of these babies. And they would leave them on the steps of the Santa Maria della Scala, and they would abandon their children there at that place. And the nuns, as all Christians through history did and do, they come running out and they scoop those babies up and they raise them until they're 18 years old. They give them jobs within the hospital. They keep a ledger that is just, I mean, better than a CPA about how much money they made. They would pay them to do the jobs, how much money they would save. And when they were 18 years old, they would give them the money they saved, a change of clothes, some furniture, and for the young ladies, a dowry if they were gonna be married. And they would send them out with a purpose. How beautiful is that? And don't you know God knew when that child was laid at those steps and those nuns with their purpose would grab that child in and would raise them as their own and send them out what God would do. Wow. But when God shows up, He changes everything. Where do you need that in your life? Where do you need that in your heart? This is the Paul that's gonna get us to Romans. And if you think you disagree with Paul now, wait till we get to Romans 1. He's gonna give us a list of 24 sins in about five verses. But when God shows up, he changes everything. And Saul turns to Paul And I sat on a front row in Rome going, what am I doing here? But my past and my present to my purpose, all in the Lord's hands. Father, we thank you, Lord. We trust you. We pray telling you, God, we love you. We want to see your work in our nation, Father. We want to see your work in our lives. Here, Paul, amazing man of God, martyred for his faith by Nero, beheaded outside of Rome, been to the place I've walked the path. But when God gets a hold of a life, we're still reading Paul's God-inspired writings today. God, would you grab our hearts on this Sunday? Would you allow us to have the courage to be set apart? It's really hard to be different, Lord. May we love you as our deepest passion and walk with you. Think of that issue you got right now and then just 
whisper in a prayer to the Lord, but when God, and surrender it to him. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.